Hello. Hi, Baz. How are you? Good. I am good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. The sun definitely helps. Doesn't it just? Like, I, honestly, I'm like, okay, daylight saving hours are coming in. Things are getting yes. better. The yes. world's going to get better. <laughs> I was walking down the street this morning and the first tree in my neighborhood has blossomed. Oh, my God. It is. It's the first blossom of the year, huh? It's hope. Yeah, it's hope. You're listening to the Unpretty Podcast, where we explore perceptions of beauty through the lens of black and non-black people of colour. Chi, sorry if I get distracted while we go through this intro, but um, I don't know about you, but did you do the Glossier 50% off? Hashtag friends of Glossier that everyone else did. <laughs> do you know what? I actually didn't because what? I have so much Glossier. I tacked on to like the back of someone else's order and just got some boy brow. Oh but I have, I have a lot. Did you get the solution? I didn't get the solution and I don't and I totally regret it but somehow I still spent a crazy amount of money and I don't even know what I spent it on but I got I feel like I got everything but the things I needed I don't know I, <laughs> I got, just want to say this sounds like it's an ad this is not an ad <laughs> well, I really love I mean Glossier if you're listening we're here <laughs> but <laughs> I like with Glossier literally believe the hype I'm not oh, yeah. about the face wash like I don't do no, the face wash I've never used it but Solution is an mm-hmm. absolute game changer. It's all good. The cloud paint is good. The lip balm is yeah. good. The, mm-hmm. I'm like, honestly, most, again, not an ad, <laughs> but most of my face <laughs> is glossy every day. Yes. It's just like the perfect, I don't know. It's Oh, it's so nice. I'm so half nice. Glossier, half Bobby Brown with a look, with mm. a bit of other brands as well, I have to say. But Glossier dominates the majority of my makeup and skincare. I Same. love the Skywash. Did you get the Skywash? Yes. What colour did you get? Um, like a brownie one. I don't know. I was, mm, it's so dreamy I and I was using it earlier. It's so nice. So on Saturday was when most people on my Instagram started receiving their packages. Yeah. Yeah. And even though I have pretty much everything that it's they were FOMO. showing... I was just like, oh my God, I wish I'd ordered something. I really want to try the brow gel. That's one thing I haven't tried yet and I regret. Babes, I think we could probably just buy it for ourselves. I know, it's true, full price. It's not even that pricey. (laughs) It's not that pricey, exactly. (laughs) Anyway. Speaking of Instagram, I guess, I think it's important for us to address again the Stop Asian Hate campaign and actually more the response to it. I'm kind of just a bit shocked after... The black tiles of June 2020, mm-hmm. how nobody seems to have learned anything <laughs> despite their listening and learning. Yeah, I, I think in general, the audience, especially online, I think it becomes like, okay, we're dealing with the black thing. Okay, let's do, let's do the black thing for a while. Let's focus on this black thing. And then the Asian things come up and it's like, oh, no, we need to shift our focus. Realizing that it actually is all hate. It's all racism and hate and hate crimes. All that is one thing, regardless mm-hmm. of who it's directed to. But maybe there's just been such a focus on black hate that um, we haven't talked about hate in general. So yeah, I think that's a big problem. But I'm glad it's it, here. Better late than never. I'm glad the attention is being brought to it. And I'm glad for the conversations, at least, that I've been a part of. Yeah. But I just worry about this 
And I say it again, the hashtag listening and learning, because if I see that again, like I am going to have to be scheduling in a midterm test just to see what everyone has, has learned. What did they learn? <laughs> yeah, what no. have you learned? No, I hear you. What I have you, you listened to and what have you learned? Because yeah. it's such an empty statement. And sure. it's actually, I find it hugely, deeply triggering and offensive mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. when I'm seeing it now in relation to the Asian community yeah I hear you it's not enough you. it's not enough but we stand in solidarity and we are here and we are open and we are willing to have the conversation as ever absolutely and I think we will also add in some resources yeah. into the show notes including a brilliant article written by one of our contributors to the episode yeah. today also The conversation today is quite relevant as it's the month of March and March is actually endometriosis month and is readily known that black women are more likely to experience delayed diagnosis or be misdiagnosed with endometriosis in both the UK and the US. So the conversation we're having today is very relevant to that. It is. We're talking about menopause and menstruation and actually I think we have to be completely honest about the fact that as this episode features a conversation between four cisgendered women it's it discusses Mm -hmm. themes specifically related to that experience it's important for us to also draw attention to the fact that trans and non-binary people do also experience menopause and menstruation and I was actually listening to a great podcast that I want everyone to tune into it's called Two Twos brilliant podcast by two black lesbians Nana and Ro this episode in particular features Kenny Ethan Jones who is a black trans activist and he talks very openly about that experience Hmm. amazing okay shall we get into it let's get into it let's introduce our guests so joining us today, we have Zing Zing. Zing is a journalist, formerly news director at Dazed and currently the executive editor at Vice UK. She specialises in women's and LGBTQ rights, politics and culture, and is committed to sharing stories of identity and belonging. She is also the author of the critically acclaimed Forgotten Women book series. And we also have Karen Arthur. After a career in education, Karen realised her passions for helping women feel special and valued they get older by becoming fashion creative and a designer. She's committed to raising awareness about menopause and diversifying the landscape surrounding this topic and is the founder of Menopause Whilst Black. So the first question that we ask our guests is how do you identify yourselves ethnically and culturally if they're different? I'm a black British woman. That's how I define myself. Straight yeah. up. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> My roots are from Barbados. Both my parents are from Barbados, but I was born over here. My parents assimilated. And so a lot of my experience is from a British point of view, but I love Barbados and I love my Barbados roots and I'm learning more about it as I get older. Nice. 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 Zing, what about you? So I am Chinese Singaporean. So I was born in Singapore, moved to the UK when I was 16 with my family. I'm now in the process of becoming British and getting a British passport. But it's taking a while because let me tell you, that is expensive. Mm. It is very expensive. Uh. So I'm not quite British yet, but I identify myself as being on the path to being British. 
Oh, that's quite nice. That's lovely, actually. It's, it reminds me of like getting that getting that British passport and what that's like. That whole experience of being like, I will be British. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want the full citizenship ceremony. You know, I want to shake. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I want them to welcome me to the country. I want the whole thing. I'm not paying for anything less than that. <laughs> so, guys, this topic that we're on today is around menopause and periods, and it's funny because when we've talked, we talked about how it's different in our cultures because there's just surrounding getting your first period and what that's like and how you're taught it as you get older so I wanted to ask you guys I guess we can start with Zing do you remember getting your first period or do you remember being told about what a period was like what was that experience for you also oh. were they different because I mean when I think about my fe- I was definitely told sat down told I was gonna have a period but then when my period came I thought I was dying so <laughs> I was <laughs> I literally freaked out and just didn't tell I didn't tell my parents that I'd start my period for like two or three months and I just like what? dealt with it myself because I was like you I didn't th- tell there's something wrong with me and then I was like oh actually well because the blood changes doesn't it mm. so eventually yeah. like it was more like a period and I was like oh, okay I think I was like 12 and I was so my parents had never told me about it so the school had actually like arranged for this, you know, like classic divide the girls and the boys and we're going to take them into separate rooms and tell them things. And then they're all going to get <laughs> together later and they're not going to like, they're going to feel really weird about it because it's the first time they've ever felt, you know, separated by gender in that way, which I found really weird as well. Um, but then, you know, obviously I didn't pay any attention to it at all, like most mm. of the people in my <laughs> class. And then when I did get my period and I want to say here as well I'm cisgender which I think is important to point out because not all girls get periods you know non-binary people also get periods mm-hmm. um but I got my period when I was 12 or 11 and genuinely was so surprised I didn't know what was happening mm-hmm. uh, I this is so sweet it was really naive of me I like showed I knocked on my parrot's door because it was nighttime. And I showed them like the blood and I was like, what's happening? And then my poor, d- my dad Aww. did not know what was going He literally looked like I just like slapped him in the face with a fish. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I remember this so clearly. He like patted the top of my head like I was a dog and then said, good girl. Oh, oh my God. Oh. <laughs> oh, that was so cringe. Um, and oh. my mum, bless her, immediately, like, I think she could feel the awkwardness because then she kind of like swept me into the bathroom and showed me like you know sanitary pads and everything but yeah that was the first that was my first experience of having a period and it's like oh when I talk about it I can still feel that my dad's awkward hand patting me on the head like that that's so interesting I feel like lots of girls have awful period stories like Mm -hmm. shameful period stories almost because it's bound up around shame so yeah. I was brought up in a small town in, in Oxfordshire called Banbury. And uh, I was in a school where there were 2,000 kids. And I was the, f- the only black girl for a person for a while until my brother came up. So I'm the eldest of four. Uh, girl, boy, girl, boy, it goes. And I, no one sat me down. We didn't talk about periods. We didn't talk about sex. We didn't talk about anything. My mm. dad wasn't around at that point. I was the last girl in our class to have my period. I was 14. And I remember I made a pact with my friend. I think we were, her name was Jane. I think we were only friends because we were the last two who hadn't had our periods. 
And mm-hmm. she said, when I get mine, I'll tell you. And when you get yours, you tell me. And we, we had our periods within days of each other, which is interesting. Wow. wow. Yeah. But when I, I remember when it started, I was in the loo and bloody my knickers. And I called my mum. I knew it was a period, but I didn't know much else. And I thought something was very, very wrong. And my mum got sanitary, you know, towels, things like that. You know, they were massive pads that made you look like you just got off a horse. Uh, I hated them. You couldn't wear jeans. You couldn't, you know. I remember years, uh, maybe a year later, I bought Lilette's tiny little tampons. They look really cute little things. But the difficulty yeah. I had putting that, you know, up my vajayjay was like, you know, I, I thought I, I thought I was going to die then. So I didn't use the tampons <laughs> for ages. And I also thought that it was it would mean I'd lose my virginity. And I, I wasn't about that around 15. But we didn't talk about that stuff. Who does that? No. No. <laughs> yeah, who does exactly? Well, Whose mum does that? I actually now kind of remember um, my, I remember what happened. Yeah, I remember what happened with me. My auntie sat me and my cousin down and told us. Um, about oh my period. god and my, me and my cousin were sat down together as well like a yeah job lot. and then when I actually got my period funnily enough it was after we just got our British passports we were starting to like go on holiday to Europe and we went on a family holiday to Barcelona and they'd lost my suitcase all my stuff so I just had the clothes I was wearing and then we just got to the hotel and oh, I just need to go to the toilet really quickly and then I just got my period and I remember being oh, like oh man I'm on holiday. I've been in these clothes for like 24 hours. I don't know what's going on. But my mum and dad almost made it like, um, I vaguely remember it being like a success thing. Like it was like, wow, this is great. And I was like, what are, what, what's great? <laughs> like, I don't really understand. Uh, is this like a pride moment? Am I meant to be celebrating this? Still to this day, I think like that was a weird reaction. I don't understand why it was like excitement, but I don't know whether the excitement just was sort of suppress my panic at me bleeding, potentially. I don't really know. Well, it's, I think it's possibly that womanhood thing. Yeah, it's yeah. a rite of passage. I've got two daughters. Yeah, and they're mm. twenty five and thirty, mm. and it is a, it is a rite of passage. I wanted them not to feel shame if they're listening to this. I hope that they think that I didn't you know, make them feel shame. But it is there it is about moving into womanhood, but not to be seen as something that's shameful. And I think the yeah. issue can often be that we we don't understand because we don't talk about it. And the more we talk about mm. it, the easiest it will be. I feel the same way obviously about menopause, but you know, we'll come to that mm. no doubt. Mm. That's really interesting. You've got two daughters. Did you tell them about periods before and how have you kind of changed that approach? To your parents' approach? I was a teacher. So I was teaching it at school. I, I was teaching at a boys' school when they were young. We'd have those conversations at home. We had books. We talked about a lot of stuff. They had, you know, and anything that they talked about at school, we'd talk about at home. So I, I don't think, God, I don't think I sat them down because I don't think I needed to, mm. in a sense, because they kind of, they had a, not, a lot of knowledge anyway. They might, they might tell me different. My memory is not what it used to be, you know, guys. <laughs> Let's be clear. I may be making up this fantasy parenthood that I did. <laughs> but the, interestingly, they also started their periods at 14. And I know that my mother started her period at 14. So that isn't it. That's your mother's history of menstruation. And 
to some extent, menopause uh, is an indicator. Oh, wow. See, I started my period, I think when we were chatting, I was the earliest out of the four of us that are behind this podcast. I started when I was 10. Um, Uh, So you're at primary school? Yeah, primary school. Yeah. That's hard. And I think that's also why it was... um, so traumatic like even now I'm thinking about it like my eyes are filling up a bit because I'm like oh god like horrible um Mm. being at primary school and I I remember um we used to have these summer dresses do you know the summer dresses that you wore at primary Mm, school you had to wear you had to wear the summer dresses yeah and like you know bleeding through and all of that and not ever I think I didn't even tell any of my friends there was there was this weird I think when my mum so my mum and my auntie sat me and my cousin down we're both the same age um and they they told us they did tell us about periods and I think they told us about like how a baby's made and whatever but it was this very like um I think there was a lot of fear behind um the way that they were telling us yeah and on top of that like this added and it completely isn't intentional and if my mum and auntie are listening to this I don't I'm not like saying that they did anything wrong necessarily um but I think what it led to was this shame so even after I'd accepted the fact that I'd started my period no one at school even when I went to high school I didn't tell anyone that I'd started my period until I was like 13 14 and Mm. I'd been having periods for like five years or four years even I can't do maths um but society does that to us that we, we we it 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 gets to us so we, even yeah. though, even if we can't articulate it, we know that there's something shameful. Even, yeah. Yeah. even hiding your tampons from your desk to go to up the your toilet, yeah. or up your sleeve, mm. you know, or the we little, still do that now. right, or the little, um, you know, little uh, pretty things that you can get, pouches that, that um, sanitary towel, uh, what are they call brands, and yeah. you know, you can get that as a special thing. So it's hiding what is completely natural you know yeah so true there is I will say there's a wonderful podcast called period story podcast um niece brothers um runs it and every story is basically a woman talking about her period story and it's absolutely Mm. fascinating because Mm. we've all got one of those and um you will always find someone a story that you resonate with that you know that Mm. resonates but yeah it's a lot man Thing I wanted to ask you, obviously, we're a room full of, uh, a Zoom room full of black women um, and a very black experience, but it is a different experience in different cultures and different ways of life. So we'd love to know, you know, what are the perceptions of periods and, you know, in general, I guess the female anatomy when it comes to, you know, within your culture, is it different? Have you noticed it being any different to how, I guess, Africans or black people would see it? I think especially Chinese and specifically Singaporean uh, perceptions of periods and female bodily functions it was really prudish I remember when I was growing up we would have biology lessons in school and things that girls would say which at the time I was like oh that's just a you know question now I look back and I'm like oh my god we were 16 years old but there were literally girls who were saying things like does period blood come out of the same hole as your pee so they like literally the entire vagina just completely mm. erased, gone. Nothing mentioned about the clitoris, mm. anything like that. Oh, God, there no. was so much kind of misinformation around as well for boys as well. Boys didn't weren't taught any of it. So 
boys would genuinely just think girls went around spontaneously bleeding like all the time. At one point, oh. <laughs> at one point, one of my best friends in school when we were like 16, she actually like asked really sincerely, bless her, if the egg that you were shedding, you know, the unfertilized egg that came out during like your period, she was like, can you see it? Because I don't see mine. Like she genuinely thought there was like a real egg coming out of you when you had your period. Oh, wow. Oh. And all the adults in, you know, my life in like school just did not know how to deal with any of these questions. Like people would get really, really kind of uptight and awkward and fidgety, you know, like much like my dad, when I told my parents that I was getting my period for the first time, people just didn't really talk about that stuff. And I, I don't think they still do, you know, in Singapore, especially like my background, a lot of Chinese people are very Christian and they're very yes. evangelical. So no sex before marriage, abortion is a sin. I actually remember my biology teacher playing us the silent scream which is this really controversial film from america that was created by the pro-life movement that kind of almost what? animates a growing fetus in the womb who then starts screaming as like the mother oh my oh, god that's traumatic i know yeah it was really bad like being shown that at 15 16 that was not a good time luckily i think the biology teacher was deeply annoying so everyone didn't really like her so everyone was like, oh my God, here she goes again, playing her stupid videos, shut mm. up. So I don't think it affected us that badly, but there was so much misinformation about. And I think that because of that, people got really twisted ideas of what female sexuality was and what periods were like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's quite similar across a lot of other kind of East Asian cultures. Like a lot of people just don't talk about periods at all. So when it does happen or people have, you know, experiences that differ from the norm, you know, it's very lonely and very isolating. Like you were saying about getting up here when you're in primary school. When I got my period in primary school, I remember this one moment where we all wore white uniforms, which I think is very sexist because Ooh. I mean, hello, women, girls get periods. Uh, yeah. At the end of a lesson, everyone stood out and I stood out and I realized my entire white skirt was completely soaked <sighs> through. Um, oh, and God. Thank God I was wearing those little like sports bloomers underneath, mm. you know, for people. So I could take Could've off my skirt. Um, but, you know, obviously the whole seat was covered in blood. And then my teacher came up to me and was like, oh, why are you, you know, hanging about? Because I was so embarrassed, just waiting for everyone to leave. And it was a man. And I was like dying of embarrassment. Uh... He was like, um, my, my red ink pen just burst. And now it's like, you know, now it's kind of messed up the chair. And he was like, oh, OK, sure. And at the time, I thought, you know, wow, I've really gotten away with it. I've you know made up mm, but actually i kind of think that he just didn't even realize that that was period blood because oh, okay. he was informed too mm. um because looking oh, you back, think that's why yeah because looking back he was mm. just like you know a relatively okay. young 20 something year old chinese guy who was my teacher at the time i honestly think there's quite a high chance he just didn't know hmm Historically, in some West African communities, the moment a girl start their period, it was a celebration of womanhood. So, Baz, I guess similar to what you said about your parents, making it a celebration. So there are stories of different rituals that still happen today, whether they the young girls sit under ceremonial umbrellas while they're menstruating and they're giving gifts and treated like a queen. But then similar neighbouring communities or even the same communities, there's also this additional shame and feeling of lack of cleanliness. Mm. So how did these ideas 
conflate with one another? And also, where does it come from? Zing, I'm interested to hear from your perspective um, why you think that is, and if you knew about that even. I didn't know that there was... I mean, I think it's really common in cultures to have contradictory views of womanhood. So, you know, Mm. on one hand, you know, you've gotten your period. Technically, now you could, like, bear children. um, But also, at the same time, you shouldn't bear children. And it's very bad if you bear children, unless you do it within, like, a very sanctified you know, set of circumstances that are overseen and approved by society or like whatever religion or culture you're part of. Like, I think that's really common. Um, I honestly think it probably boils down to being able to control women to be like, okay, while you're having this experience, this is what that experience means for your life. Um, But also don't have that experience because that experience is wrong and bad. You know, it's about kind of controlling women's autonomy, I think. That's what it feels like to me and I think that once you have that as the kind of baseline idea behind it it spins out into all kinds of strange you know ways so I mean there are you know cultures where if you're menstruating certain things you touch are unclean or you have to go live in you know a separate part of the house or even a separate comp- dwelling completely that's that happens yeah. in Nepal um, and I think that underlying all of that at least in my understanding, I think it's, you know, a desire to control women and to tell them what to think and what to feel. Mm, I would agree. Yeah, would agree. you know what, guys, it's it's quite funny because um, obviously, as I was younger, I was a practicing Muslim and my whole family are practicing Muslims. And when you're Muslim, obviously, you meant to pray five times a day. But when you're um, when you're on your period, you don't pray at all. And I remember asking my mum that and being like, what's the deal with that? And it was it was a cleanliness thing. Technically, when you're on your period, you're not you're not, you know, completely pure, completely clean. So you aren't even technically allowed to worship in the way that you would do if you were uh, not on your period. And like I need to do more reading into it. I for anyone that's listening that is Muslim and probably knows the proper reasons or the proper restrictions. But for me, it was always just taught as when you're clean again you'll pray again Ooh. that was like that was the whole breadth of the conversation mm-hmm. I was like okay and we've never discussed it afterwards and for me it's just like okay sure like whatever mm-hmm. but it's weird because it comes up when you're at family gatherings when the whole family pray together because they're like why is she not right. praying so then wow. you have to declare to everyone in the room that you're on your period so you sit in a separate room watching tv and like there's 20 people in the next room praying and they then they all have to know you're on your period so there's this like unspoken weird thing where it's like, she's, don't don't ask her again because she's always on her period. Like yeah, it's really um, <laughs> it's funny and actually I would have never thought about it as a thing because I just grew up with that mannerism. Mm. But in hindsight, having to declare it, it's the same with fasting though, isn't it? Because I remember yeah. at, at high school, fast. yeah, some yeah, of the yeah. girls that I you went know. to school with, they yeah. they didn't disclose that they were on their period, but like you know, on those days, they'd just be like, literally eating every single hour of the yeah, day. Yeah. And to be honest, when <laughs> it came it to Ramadan, it was a welcome break. It was actually a one up on the men. It was one up <laughs> on the boys to be like, yeah. you guys don't get a break, we get a break. So as women are conflated in religion quite a lot, I think it was actually seen, I think personally anyway, as a woman, it was seen as like a pro of being mm. like, hey, this is where women come on top. I don't have to fast for five days, which I think is besides the point mm. but <laughs> I don't know you know how it is with, take, yeah, your, take your wins where mm. you can yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. what Zing said about control 
is massive. I honestly feel that's about fear. I think that patriarchy exists to keep us in our place. And there's a fear of the power of women. And we've spent centuries kind of trying to fit in or trying to conform and, and, and also not having much of a choice because all the systems that are in place are meant to keep us down. You know, we can produce life for God's sake. Of course, they're scared of us, you know. And so everything ties into feeling a sense of immense shame for being what is considered dirty because you have, you produce blood every month, but actually it's something to be celebrated and revered. You know, so that too, you know, you said about um, women in, you know, some parts of um, Africa having, being treated like queens on the one hand, but on the other hand also being seen as, you know, dirty because they were finally having their period there's at the end of the day that's around the fact that we can bear children which means we can get married which means that we can you know fulfill the next part of our destiny which is to be partnered off in a heteronormative manner it's a beautiful system (laughs) not we can't have this conversation without discussing period poverty it's around it's there we're all very aware of it do you think that taboos around periods contribute to this in ethnic communities? Especially, I guess for me, I've watched quite a lot of documentaries and stuff on period poverty in India and in that part of South Asian worlds where it's almost so much of a taboo that it's not even dealt with. Like mm. it doesn't exist for mm. them. Mm. And obviously we're moving on and rules are coming into the UK. I'm not sure about other parts of the world where now, you know, tampons are becoming free of tax and, mm. you know, pads are being handed out. But in ethnic communities where you're not going to get free tampons, you're not going to get free period, like free pads or whatever it is, does that come, is that because of shame? As in a kind of like, we're going to pretend it doesn't exist. So you guys are going to have to just keep dealing with it? I think it's, I think it's difficult. I think that um, period poverty will affect the people who have less money. And demographically, we know that black and brown you know, and Asian people are likely to have less money, mm. so therefore cannot have basics, you know, cannot buy their basics. I think the fact that there's been a tax on period products forever, mm. it's just all kinds of wrong. Even when I was skin, and I'm still skin, but we won't go there, my skin is relative. And so I could at least have the money when I did have my periods to go and get tampons or pads for myself and also for my daughters you know I, mm. I think um so it's good it's it can't not have an effect if that makes sense yeah yeah you know when I came over to the UK this conversation about periods and especially period poverty is so much more advanced in the UK than it is back in Singapore like in Singapore when I was growing up there was no discussion of period poverty it was only until I was doing a mini documentary about period poverty in the UK that I understood you know, just how much this is a problem that affects women of all kinds of backgrounds, but also it's an economic problem. So, you know, Mm. I was talking to a single mum who basically said, you know, it's great they're talking about providing tampons in schools and stuff, but I don't go to school anymore. And, you know, for Mm. me, it's a toss up between should I buy food for my kid or can I like find enough Luro to like pad out my pants for like five days or like use a sock. 
that was a real kind of wake up call for me because yeah. I was like, this is an actual decision that people have to make in their everyday lives. And it's a terrible decision. Nobody should ever be put in that position. It's probably changed now in the UK because, you know, they lifted the tax on period products. But I found it really frustrating when period poverty was only being talked about as in, oh, think of these schoolgirls who can't get tampons or pads because, you know, women have periods right up until they get the menopause. So, you know, it's a problem that affects everyone. Right. Right. Totally. We wanted to move on to talk about menopause. Research from the study of women's health across the nation, which began in 1996, shows that women of colour enter menopause earlier and take a longer time to transition through menopause and experience more severe symptoms than white women. Mm. Just spitting some facts mm. here. Mm. Karen, please can you tell us about your work and why you felt the need for menopause to be more openly spoke about specifically for black women? Well, that's one report that you're mentioning. That's US research. It's from the USA. I realised I was going through menopause six years ago. I was teaching at the time and I had a breakdown, basically. Uh, and I ended up leaving teaching. But in the time between going into what ended up being diagnosed as anxiety and depression and actually leaving teaching, I also realised I was going through menopause. And I realised it because I was having hot flushes. It was the only, that symptom. And I had tingly legs, which some people describe as insects crawling under your legs, which sounds awful, but I prefer to see them oh, as little reminders that my legs work. But hey, if perspective <laughs> is everything, isn't it? And at the time, no one was talking about menopause. When I went to my mm. doctors and... I don't like going to the doctors at the best of times, so I usually have a list on my phone of all the things I'm going to talk about. And menopause was at the bottom of it. And she suggested antidepressants, not necessarily for my menopause, but because I was suffering from anxiety and depression. And at the time, I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I not yet. I'll, let me see if I can do other things. I have quite a holistic approach to my mental well-being and physical well-being. So... I figured I could see if I could do other stuff first. But I had no plans to leave teaching. It got to a point where I was finding it very difficult to do my job. I was suffering from brain fog. I was forgetting things. And I was depressed, you know. And in the end, when I left, I thought that that would mean I would get better. But actually, that just left space for me to get worse first. And then as I started to come through, I started to talk to my friends about it. I, I would gather them around my kitchen table. We had a couple of sessions where I said let's I know I'm going through menopause I'm I was I'm 58 now so I was kind of 52 when I my periods had stopped and then I yeah I just started to talk about it it did, didn't make any sense that no one was talking about it I didn't talk about it with my mother my mother never told me about menopause I knew she was going through the change but um mm. I started to really ramp up talking about it last year when George Floyd was murdered I couldn't understand how black menopausal women were coping with their menopause symptoms and also coping with racial trauma. And I started to do, to Google, and I basically did a little video that I, I couldn't stop myself saying, when you Google menopause and click images, what do you see? And what you mm. see is a load of infographics. If you Google older women, you get a load of white women. Uh, mm. Menopause is that sad, you know, it's sad women with their heads in their hands and white hair, dressed really dull. No one who looked like me, 
No one looked like anybody I knew, really. Um, so I started to do my own research. Uh, I there's the latest, the last research in Great Britain is from 2007, and it's asking BME women why they take up HRT. There's a lesser take up of HRT amongst us than amongst our white counterparts. And there are 22 women in that survey, and only four of them identify as black British women. So there were African women, there are Caribbean women, and a lot of Asian women. But yeah, mm. 22. And I thought, that's research. So I did my yeah. own. I made the Google Forms or Google Sheets or whatever they're called. I started to send it out. And then mm. I wanted black British women specifically to respond. And I hoped I'd get about 50 which double, and in the end, I closed it at over 230 women filled it in. I hesitated sharing it on Twitter because that's a bit cerebral, and I thought that somebody with a PhD would, you know, shout me down and say, here's the research, we did it in 2020, and, you know, you're wrong, and how dare you, and imposter syndrome, all that stuff. But um, no one had done it, and no one had done it because no one thought about us. They don't, they didn't care. And so it took off. And what came out of that, more than anything else, that was that there was a need for more of us to speak up. And yeah. mm-hmm. I follow yeah. someone called Omi uh, Omashadi, who runs uh, Black Girl's Guide to Menopause, which is a podcast that's been going for almost 18 months now in the US. And there was nothing, there, were, there was nothing in Great Britain. So I started a podcast because why not? And it is literally two old black women chatting about men. That is it. That's all we do. It's no, there's no but it's so bells and impactful. whistles and you know. Yeah, it's so it's yeah. literally. Yeah. Just... I sent. I actually sent it to my mum, yes. Karen, because I was like, I mean, we haven't. We're, we still haven't talked about menopause. We've all set ourselves a task of like talking to our mums about menopause at some point um, mm. in the near future. But I was just like. I think you'll enjoy listening to this. And we haven't discussed it since. I will, I'm yeah. going to call her this weekend. I feel really strongly, which is why I'm so excited, I suppose, to be on this podcast about younger women understanding that ageing isn't what everybody thinks. It isn't awful. And that menopause mm-hmm. isn't awful. And the earlier you know, the easier it will be. And the reason that a lot of us have a shit time during menopause is because we didn't know it was coming. And no one bloody told us you know and I also or what it would be like and I also feel strongly that if you don't see yourself represented that you think that something's wrong with you I thought something was wrong with me one of the podcast episodes a woman says she thought she had a white woman's disease because no one in her community was talking about it so I feel really strongly about if you are lucky enough to have your parents around to have your mother around to start those conversations you know my kids have them my daughter's There is no way that they're going to walk in blind. Zing, what are your, what did you, what do you remember about menopause within your family? Have you ever had any conversations? Like what? No. Zing's like, what? Yeah, I love this. I actually want to go and talk to my mom about her menopause now. Because she's, she's 69. So, you know, she's, she's been through that. (laughs) um, But we never talked about it. I think, I think she would mention, I'm feeling really hot today. But then, you know, growing up in Singapore, it's like 38 degrees. I was like, mum, I feel hot too, whatever, you know. So I don't think there was any conversation about it. <laughs> Actually, Karen, what you were saying about going in blind, like it strikes me that while, you know, we were taught about periods at school and, you know, like me, 
your your mileage might vary and you may or may not have been listening in class that day um but you know when you're older like there's no school there's no like school to go to to tell you that you're about to go into the men to menopause you know there's nothing to like teach you unless you go out and seek it yourself and if you don't see it see yourself reflected in the coverage of what menopause is then you can get completely blindsided mm. blindsided mm. is, is it... the phrase it really is the yeah. phrase you know and you, and the thing is is that it's a lot the more i'm i know a lot about menopause and the, but there's so much i don't know and technology also be aware that menopause is the new thing so big brands have taken are take are sitting up there's a lot of money to be made and so by the time it your it's your turn in a sense if you are privileged enough to get to an age where you could have menopause because this is the other thing i believe is that you know aging is a privilege lots of people don't don't make it this far you know i feel mm -hmm. that there'll be lots more for you to choose from and a lot more knowledge and there may be courses that you can go on to I, it's like pensions isn't it you don't want to think about it because it's in the future but actually pensions yeah. are best when you start them young you know and, and <laughs> yeah. lots of older people are finding that out the hard way you know yeah I guess Zing I like it's very it's super interesting I guess for you personally you said that you haven't talked to your mum about it and you want to have your a conversation with your mum about it is that a personal thing that you've just not talked about it or is that again another cultural thing where no one really discusses it I think it's definitely a cultural thing especially okay. um in Chinese communities I think either like among the women in my family, it was you either ha have menopause and you go through this really medicalized route where, you know, you get, you go see a doctor and you get like prescribed stuff or you do the Chinese medicine route, which is, you know, you go see the Chinese doctor and you get prescribed Chinese herbs. But either way, you don't really talk about it to, you know, the younger women or your daughters in the family because it's not considered appropriate. And I think there's a, yeah. there's a that's a big thing in mm -hmm. East Asian cultures it's like the idea of like appropriateness at the end of the day yeah, we're not encouraged to talk true. about women's things you know you can be true. you can have the most my mum was incredibly cuddly and incredibly lovely but she just didn't talk about women's things because her grand her mother didn't you know and I yeah. and I yeah. think it's important that we understand that it's time to break that cycle think about yeah. all the times all the women you know in your life that you could have possibly supported when they were going through menopause who didn't feel they could speak out and I also feel yeah. that it's not, it's a conversation that we encourage amongst men and amongst boys, but it's not a women's conversation, you know? True. I 100% yeah. agree. We can't talk about periods, we can't talk about menopause without addressing the wider disparities in healthcare for women of colour in the UK, you know, whether it's endometriosis, fibroids, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, all of these things are either more prevalent within black and brown communities or they go undetected for a really long time. Thinking about this as well as talking more about menopause and also the impact of mental health with that, mm. especially things like endometriosis, a delayed diagnosis of <laughs> something like endometriosis or polycystic ovaries have a massive impact on mental health. And Karen, you mentioned at the beginning when you started menopause, you had years of really struggling with oh, not struggling but your mental health was significantly impacted Definitely. and there wasn't this like it wasn't diagnosed as menopause like well what it was and this is common what is common is that when women go to the doctor about menopause 
that there is no link made in the past, certainly. Maybe it's changing now, or maybe it's just changing in my circles, but there's no link between anxiety and depression and menopause. But actually, a lot of women are affected by poor mental well-being. And a lot of older women end up leaving their jobs because they can't do them anymore. And they're, you know, women in their 50s, mm-hmm. you know. So oh, we've got, you mentioned so many things and it's a massive topic around, sometimes it's distrust of the medical system and that might be based in medical racism. There's also the strong black woman trope around soldiering on because everybody else soldiers on. So, and being seen as weak. There's, there, you know, there's a lot going on. I would like women to feel that they could advocate for themselves and that when they go to the doctors and they're not hearing what they want to hear, that they go and see someone else and look for lots of different routes. What I wanted to say was, what can we do? I know that obviously we're talking about it now. I think homework, everyone go home, or at least the three of us go home and talk to our mums about menopause. Yeah. As a journalist, being at Vice or being in the journal world, obviously you talk a lot about LGBTQ plus communities and things that affect your world. Do you think in mainstream media sh- and things like platforms like Vice or whatever other platforms you know that we both speak on, that it should be discussed? And is there something to be discussed? Yeah, actually, now, having sat on this podcast now, there's, like, so much to talk about. Because one thing I've become really interested in is, you know, like, Vice is obviously, like, millennial audiences, maybe a bit of Gen Z. And, you know, the millennials I know who are sort of, you know, I'm in the same age bracket, you know, their parents are getting older and that's becoming mm-hmm. a bigger part of their life. I think when you're in your mm-hmm. early 30s and you just like graduated from university, you're like, leave me alone, mom and dad. I'm a free, mm-hmm. independent, single person. But then as you get older, you're like, oh, actually, I'm going to spend time with my parents. I'm going to talk mm-hmm. to them. I want to like learn more about their lives. And I think this conversation about menopause is like the perfect example. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to go back and talk to my mom about menopause now. Before we let you guys go, we love to ask this question to every single person at the end. If you haven't listened to an episode, don't worry, because it's good, because I'd rather <laughs> than we've caught you off guard. We will start with you, Zing. When did you realise you were beautiful? Oh, I don't, hmm. I think when I was about 13, there was a tank top I bought with my own money. And I remember <laughs> taking a photo on the first ever digital camera I owned. That's how relatively older I am. And it was like a selfie. And I remember looking at it being like, yeah, I'm hot shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like love that. that. Simple and also and it early. Some, it had some Very kind of slogan t-shirt. It was like a horrible slogan tank top. I don't even know what was written on it. But I remember looking at it being like, yeah, I'm a grown up woman. Yeah. Wow. I <laughs> love I, That's our first. That's also, I love that you took that. a selfie when you were 13. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah, that was pre-Kim Kardashian. Yeah. <laughs> Everything I've done in my life has to try and get back to that level of momentary confidence. <laughs> Karen what about you I I see it slightly differently I'm not gonna lie I realized I was pretty when I was 15 aesthetically Mm -hmm. because I started to get attention I realized I was beautiful I would say maybe a few years ago and because for me it was the whole package I really love myself as this incarnation And I realised that I was hiding behind lots of other incarnations of myself. Uh, So Mm. for me, beautiful isn't, it's it's not the way I look. I know I look pretty, I get that. 
Okay, I am completely cognizant of the effect I have. However, I am a, I'm a, I, you know, and I, I'm a beautiful person, and I'm a beautiful because I try to be as honest as possible. So I only realised that in the last few years, and I pray, yeah. I pray that lots and lots of women listening to this don't have to get to my age to realise that and start much, much mm. earlier. And the way you start earlier is you. You're honest and you start talking about the stuff that was shameful, you know? Mm. Oh, I, I love, love I love everything Two that you great just stories. said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Significantly more profound than that. <laughs> <laughs> we like balance here though, so it's fine. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> but it's yeah. good it's good that it. I came second, because imagine if I said that and then you said, <laughs> Well, I took a selfie when I was thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's good though and I, I encourage yeah I, I encourage that. you know women to own their beauty much much earlier than their mid-50s <laughs> so good yeah. I love that we'd love for you to tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet so Instagram Twitter podcast like everything that you've got I am the Karen Arthur on Instagram and menopause whilst black on Instagram I am the Karen Arthur on Twitter, just remembered, which is a mishmash. I'm in and out of Twitter. That's it. If you Google the Karen Arthur, my name comes up and then everything's there. (laughs) (laughs) The Karen Arthur. Google it. I am Miss Zing, M-I-S-S-Z-I-N-G on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me writing stuff on Vice. And I have a podcast on BBC Sounds called United Zingham. Wicked. How informative was that? Honestly, so many facts. Karen. Yeah, the fact lady. Karen has all the facts. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she... I I feel like I just learned so much from her, even just, like, how to... how to approach these topics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. It's almost actually nicer to talk to someone who has, you know, adult children to be able to understand kind of like what she's talked about and how she's talked about it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was really interesting. And I loved listening to Zing's approach, often hearing about different cultures and whether they can relate to ours and how things are done with us. It's quite nice to sort of be able to reflect and contrast, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Question, have you talked to your mum about menopause? I mean... I have not since this episode, but I have in general. It wasn't, it's never been that much of a taboo between me and my mum. It's not something that I've sat down and been like, let's have a conversation. But I've asked about it and we've discussed it, but it's never been, um, I don't know, it, it wasn't like a big topic in the same way periods were, you know? Mm-hmm. What about you? I actually did have a conversation with my mum this weekend mm. and it was quite nice, to be honest. How did you How did you broach it? What did you do? Oh, well, just to overshare here, but I'm on my period right <laughs> <Nice>. now and <laughs> this weekend just gone, I had an awful, horrible day of just like pure anxiety. Mm. So later, once I'd like got past it, mm. I bought some plants, bought mm. some aptogenic mushroom powder, mm. 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 Um, anything I could do <laughs> to try and help me. Mm. Um, I spoke to my mum and mm. I just, it was actually a nice conversation because normally I wouldn't have disclosed the fact that I was actually feeling like super anxious earlier that day. Yeah. And yeah. so I did and we were talking, so then we were talking about my periods and then <laughs> I was like, um, do you still have periods? 
which obviously I know that she doesn't. Yeah. Um, but she was just like, that was your oh, opening. No, they stopped years ago. <laughs> oh. Um, and hers actually stopped early, but she said that her menopause experience wasn't that bad because she had suffered really badly with fibroids mm-hmm. and that experience was so horrific mm-hmm. that the end <laughs> she had to have um treatment and surgery and then by the time she recovered from the surgery that was the moment that her period stopped and essentially menopause started wow, and she okay. was just like I was so happy when <laughs> when that had ended wow. that menopause was just like a breeze yeah it was a um, good thing yeah but it was just it was actually a great conversation it was the first time that me and my mum have ever talked about contraception in my 31 old years (laughs) yeah it was really nice that's nice I actually do love that about this podcast though right like that it's opening conversations that we can have with other women and with our mothers and with other you know older women in our families to be able to be like hey I've not discussed this and like it's just given us a bit of um not just an understanding, but an opening a window to sort of like, let's have conversations that before would have felt a lot more awkward. Yeah, actually, I no. totally agree. Yeah, it's lovely. And I'm just, I'm just so excited about the episodes that we have coming up as yeah, one of our fun. guests that we have, which we didn't say before, is actually our most requested guest. <laughs> so make sure that you're subscribing so that yeah. you can listen because you might have been the person who has suggested this guest we are so exactly. excited to have and also make sure you check out the show notes of the podcast episode <laughs> and because in there we're trying our best to fill it with resources whether you want to find out more on how to support the stop Asian hate or find out about periods or menstruation or menopause all those things we definitely will fill it up so we can give you guys resources past the podcast yeah for sure and everything that Karen mentioned in fact anything that's mentioned we will make sure that we have linked in the show notes so yeah for sure yeah um, okay babes I guess what do we say until next time until next time the Unbreak Podcast is hosted by Chi Yufuriyama and Basma Khalifa. Produced by Kadeen Bissett and Ayo Sule. Our artwork was created by Xenia Geller and soundtrack by Enoch Kolo. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure you've subscribed on your chosen podcast listening platform. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate us so more people can find us. And follow us on at Unpretty Podcast on Instagram and Twitter for more updates. Until next time.